Today I want to speak about expectations a little bit more. Uh, we've, we've spoken the last number of weeks on different types of expectations. We talked initially about living with expectations, which is very important because it gives us a hope for daily life in this world as well as eternal life. And then we talked about living under expectations, which means living under other people's expectations for our lives. And that's, that's not bad. That's important that we do that. And then last week we talked about living with our own personal expectations because those are the ones we typically do, what we want to do. Today I want to talk about godly expectations. I want to talk about what it means to live with godly expectations in our life that are um, the most important expectations. Let's just call it what it is. It is the most. Living, living with godly expectations means three things in my, in my discussion or my point. It means, it means living with understanding the power of the tongue, which we've already talked about today, and having it line up with God's will for my life. It means having personal faith and understanding the absolute importance of faith. But it has to become personal. And we'll talk about that. And then we need to talk about how we walk daily with that faith in our life. It's not just a matter of having the faith, but it's a daily walk of the faith. And knowing that God is, is concerned and, con, and in control of each step of our life. So those are the three points I want to talk about, about living with godly expectations. Number one, power of the tongue. Very important discussion. Uh, on Sunday evenings, we're talking about the 16 fundamental truths of the Assembly of God, what our, what our fellowship is defined as. And um, so I do encourage you, by the way, to come to Sunday evening services. It's, it's, they're good Bible discussions talking about who we are, what we are, what we believe, and the significance of that. So um, I really do encourage you to come. It's only an hour. It's not very painful. Um, but you might walk out learning something. Um, so I do encourage you. Now, the reason I say that is because the third truth of that, our fundamental belief, is that man was created in God's image, perfectly in God's image, without any, without any problems. He was made eternal, designed to live forever. But yet we know what happened, that man fell, and the problems came into our lives as a result of the sin. The, the significance of this point, other than to, than to give Sunday nights a plug, <laughs> is to say this, and that is the difference that man is created from, from any other creation is the ability for man to speak. Dogs bark, um, cats meow, horses whinny, birds chirp, lions roar, elephants do whatever they do, but man is the only creation that speaks. Now, what's the significance of that? What's so significant about that man can speak and dogs bark? It means we can communicate. It means that I have the ability to communicate with you with a spoken word, that I can just form it in my mind, and I don't know how that happens between my mind and my tongue, but all of a sudden, my tongue knows what's, what's, what most of the time it knows what to do. It's supposed to know what to do to give the right word out. Now, some people here have tongue twisters more than others, and I fall into that tongue twister 
mode more than others. But typically, if the mind is working right, it gives the nerve impulses out to the muscle and the tongue, and then I have to have the cooperation with the lungs to make air come through the vocal cords, and through all that, somehow we talk. It's pretty significant, isn't it? If I didn't have the cooperation of my lungs and just my mouth talking, I could, I could, I could form all of the nouns and pronouns and all of the, 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 the shapes with my tongue and my mouth, but if I don't have the cooperation of the lungs, there's not speech. There is no talk. There is no communication. It's a cooperative thing, and that's what it is with God. That's so important about the speech and the communication that we have is that, and the agreeing with God's will and that it's a cooperative effort. It takes more than just one part of the body to talk. It takes a cooperative effort between the lungs and the brain and the tongue and hopefully the brain works before the mouth speaks. Do you get it? Has anybody ever had the tongue speak before the brain's in gear? Yeah. <laughs> Calvin finally got it. All right, Calvin. So many times the old mouth gets going before the brain gets in gear. And all of a sudden we're saying things that are spitting out there and we wish we could bring them back and we just can't do it. So it's so important that we get the brain in gear first and then let it help us. You know, if, um, if Eve would have had a little bit more thinking before her responding, we might not be in the problems that we're in today. Because the devil spoke to her in a, in a verbal form and came to her and gave her a temptation through the word. And if Eve would have said no, if, the evil, if, if Eve would have said no, I'm not going to go there, then Adam probably wouldn't have gone there. Or if Adam would have stepped up and been the man of the house, he should have been. <laughs> If Adam would have stepped up and said, Eve, what are you thinking? We were instructed not to eat that. Just because the devil spoke a word to you doesn't mean that you should have the authority and take the, take the, the decision, make the choice to eat that. So what, that, what lesson does that give me? The lesson that it gives me is just because I hear a word, because the devil can influence my mind, doesn't mean that I have to do what he says. Because my spoken word, just like Adam and Eve's spoken word, if they would have said, no, I'm not doing that, they wouldn't have sinned. And we wouldn't have had the fall of man. And life would be totally different right now on this planet. But because they listened to the wrong word, and they didn't speak a word back to them in a positive, affirming way to say, no, I'm not doing that because God has told me not to, we have the problems that we're in today. So don't blame God when we have tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, sicknesses, diseases, weeds growing in your garden. It's not God's fault. He didn't do it. We did. Adam and Eve did. And we, unfortunately, are all captured in that big umbrella of who Adam and Eve are. That's our human race. And we are in that, and that's why it happened. So it's not acts of God that we have snowfall that closes school. It's not, it's not acts of God when we have hurricanes 
and bad, bad things that happen. That's just the result of the fall of man. And maybe those were not good excuses or good examples, but you know what I'm talking about. So today, we still have the spoken word at our disposal to create good and evil. Did you hear that? We were created in God's image as creators. God is the ultimate creator because he created something from nothing. But we can create things from what we have. Look at all their technology. Just look around us and you can see the creativity of man. We can create with our tongue good or evil. There's many verses in the Bible that talk about that. Matthew chapter 12, verses 35. Start at 35 and read 34 and 35. It says, You brood of vipers, how can you, who are evil, say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Let me think about that for a minute. You know the old adage that if you give a man enough rope, he'll hang himself? My dad used to say that a lot. Because it probably is, I don't know why he'd say it, but he'd say it a lot. But if you give a man enough rope, he'll hang himself. In other words, what he's saying here, what that old adage is saying, is that if you let a man talk long enough, you'll eventually find out what's in his heart. If you just listen to a person long enough, you'll know what motivates him. And you'll know what, what, what is, who, who is the master of his life if you let him talk long enough. And the reason that that's important is, let's go back and read verse 33 of chapter 12. The preceding verse says, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Okay, fruit, trees. Apple trees make apples. Orange trees make oranges. Isn't that amazing? How the wood of an apple tree and the wood of a cherry tree can be so close in composition but yet one tree makes apples and the other tree makes cherries. Do you understand that? Can you figure out what's happening in that tree that brings the nourishment from the roots that go up through the stalk of that tree, out to the buds, out to the limbs, and why one tree knows how to make an apple and a tree standing right next to it in the same soil the same nutrients knows how to make a cherry. It's wood. There's no brain here. This is just a tree. But how it knows to make a cherry versus an apple is kind of amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> it amazes me. But at the same way, a man, we know who a man is by listening to him talk long enough. We'll know if that man is a cherry or if that man's an apple. And we're not, to, to, it's not in a judgmental way, because I can't judge an apple tree more than I can judge a cherry tree. I might like apples better than cherries, but that doesn't make one tree better than the other. It just says we can know a tree by its fruit. So I can know people by their fruit, and their fruit is most of the time out of their tongue. 
Most of the time, how they talk, what they talk about, I know if he's a Christian man. I know if he's a godly man. I know if he, if he cherishes his family or not. I know what he thinks about his work. I know what he thinks about his hobbies. By listening to him long enough, I will know the tree of the fruit. The fruit of the tree. See, there's the old mouth getting ahead of the brain thing. <clears throat> so it's important then. Let's finish off this passage of Scripture because this is where it gets pretty, pretty interesting. If you read verses 36 and 37, again, of chapter 12 of Matthew, it says, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Wow. Is there power in words? Is there power in words? If your words will either acquit you, meaning make you innocent, or condemn you, <laughs> I would think twice and maybe three or four more times now about how I speak my idle words, how I speak about you, how I speak about my family, how I speak about this church, how I speak about my boss, how I speak about my, my um, relationship with other people. Because if my words are that powerful, and if I will give an account for all of my idle words, if I'm a wise man, I will think about that from now on. And I hope you think about that from now on. That we aren't so quick to use words to, bel to belittle people or to use words to make me appear better than somebody else. But we should use our words to speak a positive in the people and understand the significance of that. Now, let's talk about, a little bit more about the source of the power of our words. Because this is where it can get a little wacky. And this is, I think, where it gets so important that we understand the significance of where the, the source of the power of the words comes from. There was a teaching a few years back, and actually it's very prevalent today. And I'm not going to say anything good or bad about it. I'm just going to say what it is. It's the Name It, Claim It Prosperity Teaching. Name It, Claim It Prosperity Teaching. So what is that? It is that I, whatever I speak, I call into existence. That my words are so powerful that I speak it, I claim it, and I'm going to receive it. Now, there is truth in that. And I'm not going to say it's bad. But I am going to just give a warning on it, though, because I don't know that it's all truthful. I think it can get to the point where it can get over the top, and I think it can get, it can get too extreme, it dep depending on what my motivation of using it is. If I want to name it, claim it for healing in my body that I believe is in the will of God, if I'm using my words now to line up with God's will, then I have every right to name it, I have every right to call it out specifically, and to believe God for it. That's how God works in this world. And if I have a problem in my life that I'm praying God, and I say, God, give me your will. How do I pray about this? How do I take this to you? That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. He gives us the discernment. He gives us, he prays God's will in our life. And when I can find out what God's will is, then I can name it, and I can claim it, and I can stand on it. And I can believe that God's going to do it. And that's positive confession. And I believe in that. But if I want a new Cadillac... Or if I want something that's for me personally, I don't know that I can claim it that much. Because I don't know that that's what God has for me. Again, I'm not against prosperity. I love it. I love a fat checkbook like everybody else. And I pray God's going to give us all one. Because I believe God wants good things for his people. I don't think he wants anybody in poverty. 
But yet, God, there's a lot of people in poverty. There's a lot of people with sickness that aren't healed. I don't understand all that either. All I know is that I am going to do my best to line up my life with what God's will is for me, and I'm going to claim that, I'm going to name that, and I'm going to walk in it. And I'm not going to worry about what happens that I don't understand because there's so much I don't understand. If you go out and if you do a search, a Google search on name it, claim it, just go do that sometime. You will find all kinds of negative speak about it. You'll find all kinds of people that are, that are trying to debunk it and trying to belittle it and trying to, trying to make it evil. And this is, that's, here's the encouraging part of all that. Is typically, whatever is of heavenly value has a lot of earthly conflict. Whatever really is significant heavenly-wise or spiritually typically has a lot of, of earthly conflict with it because the devil wants to get in and screw it up because he doesn't want people to get in and really understand it. That's why there's such a conflict on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's why there's such a conflict on healing. That's why there's such a conflict on power, positive speaking is because the devil doesn't want us to be in unity over it. And as Angel said, when we have unity... The Holy Spirit can powerfully work through us. So if there's a lot of turmoil over something, then I've got to give it some credibility. And there's a lot of turmoil over the name and claim it thing, but I think we have to go back and understand the source of the power and the source of who gets the glory for it. If I'm asking, for, if I'm asking according to God's will and if I let him get the glory for it, then I have every right to name it and stand on it and claim it, and I will. And I know you will too because I know that's what you believe. But I also know that there's a lot of wackos out there and there's a lot of people out there that want to talk about a positive mental attitude. And all of a sudden it can get real close down to that new age thinking and how closely they kind of come together. You know, the devil is a great imitator. He imitates what God is doing for his own evil direction, for his own evil way. So the positive mental image, the power of positive thinking, um, you know, that's where Christian science is based on. They don't, they don't admit sickness. They don't admit it. They, they will deny that they're sick. That's nonsense. It really is. We have problems come into our life. The Bible tells us we're going to have problems. So don't deny the problems. Don't deny the sickness. Pray through it. And then get God's will in it and get, get, get his understanding in it. And then know how, he can, how we can be used in it. So what we really need to do on the power of the tongue is combine our will with God's will. When we combine our will with God's will, we already spoke about it this morning. Somebody mentioned it in how we pray. Oh, maybe it was Sunday school. It was, this is how we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And when we can pray God's will be done, it's going to be done. Just know that. If it's God's will, it's going to be done. And as when I line up my will and I combine my will, just like I combine the power of my lungs with the mental ability of my brain and my tongue, I speak. It's a combination. It's a coordination. It's an agreement with. And so when I can do that, then I can have the power of a positive tongue and I can accomplish great things. Now, to do that, though, comes to point number two, and that is having personal faith. We have to have personal faith. And the importance of having personal faith is that it doesn't make any difference how much it is. 
I don't have to have a boatload of personal faith. I need to have personal faith the size of a mustard seed. And then the Lord says, I can increase your faith to do more. So it's not me, it's not me generating my faith. I cannot generate faith. The Lord generates the faith within me as I ask Him to. But I just need a little bit to start. I've got to have that mustard seed to start, and then it grows into a big plant of faith in my life. But it has to be my faith, not my mom and dad's faith, not my pastor's faith, not my, not in, not my wife's faith. It has to become my faith. And when it becomes my personal faith, the size of a mustard seed, and I give it to God with a coordinated effort, with His will and my will, I'm living with godly expectations. Many, many verses in the Bible talks about how Jesus healed people based on their personal faith. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. Another passage, according to your faith, will it be done to you? Then Jesus answered, woman, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Another passage, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Another passage, he said, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Do you see all in all this? It was your faith, your faith, your faith has healed you. Not faith in the teachers, not my faith, but your faith has healed you. When it becomes my personal faith, and I combine that with the power of the, the power of the tongue and with God's will, I am living with godly expectations. But even Jesus. Even Jesus did not have the ability when he walked on this earth to have miracles happen when people didn't have faith. That's how important faith is, how it has to be your personal faith. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 58, this is talking about Jesus in his hometown. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Do you think they were a little bit jealous? Uh, you know, I mean, it's not like they didn't see the good works that he did. They, they, if you read early, it says, where did he get all this teaching from? Where did he get all this power from? Where did he get all this wisdom from and these miraculous powers? So they're not denying the fact that he had them. They're just denying where did they get them from. And because they didn't believe in him, because they didn't believe uh, in who he was, they took offense at him. And then it goes on to say, but Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So even Jesus couldn't do it. Maybe that's my problem. I'm in my hometown. It's a joke. But, you know, I, I tell you, though, I do really appreciate the fact that that doesn't apply all the time. Because I am in my hometown. This is my home church. And I'm still believing, though, that God is going to have favor on us. Because 
it's important that we must have faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we must have faith. We must have faith. Okay, now the question is, I've been healed in the past. I have faith. I have it. I've been healed in the past. I've been delivered from bondages. I've been given direction in the past. But I still have all these confusing problems in my life, and I don't know where God is, and I don't know what to do. Anybody here have that? Is anybody here facing a question? Has anybody here that's facing a question, has anybody been healed in the past? Has anybody seen God work in the past? Okay. So, why do I have the questions today? Why do I have the confusion today? Well, God gives us direction in many ways. And, but understand also that times of confusion are not limited to those that are just ungodly. So do not let the devil come to you and, and make you question your faith if you are in a time of confusion. We go through seasons in life. We go through times where we have to have um, uh, God's will shown to us differently in different ways. So don't worry about that. There, we are led through a series of life experiences that at times are very confusing. Dr. Jeremiah, if you'd throw that up, Larry. Dr. Jeremiah from um, uh, Turning Point Ministries. I hope you can read that, but I'll read it with you. He, he, um, this was in his daily devotional yesterday. I, I get these every day from him. Um, I really like Dr. David Jeremiah. He is a great Bible teacher, and I really uh, appreciate some of the things that he said. But this goes right along with what the Lord had placed in my heart this week. Let's read through it. Many Christians have unshakable faith that God will deliver them safely through their many trials and anticipate arriving at heaven's door several decades from now. But some of those same Christians have a harder time trusting God to provide a job, income, or solution to a problem that is just days away. Why can we trust God with eternity but have a harder time trusting him for tomorrow? This raises the question, is our life scripted by God or is it determined by our choices? The answer is yes. Both. Psalm 139.16 suggests a script for our life. Yet the Bible is full of exhortations to choose wisely as if our choices determine our future. We live in the reality, the tension between both truths, what scholars call an, in, an antinomy, which is two parallel truths that suggest a contradiction. But there are no contradictions with God. He uses all things, as it says in Romans 8.28, both wise and foolish to accomplish his script for our life, which is the conformity to the image of his Son. Romans 8.28.9 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Tomorrow and eternity are no different to God. Plan today as prayerfully and as carefully as you anticipate eternity, and then trust him for both. Trust him for both. It's like our mission statement, to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance. We have to be able to have heavenly perspectives in our mind, but yet live with earthly relevance. And as I can do that, as I can then take um, the absolute confidence 
that God has my future in store, my eternity for store. No question about it. I am saved. I am going to spend eternity in heaven. And when I can then have that assurity and then walk in tomorrow's problems and have the relevancy of walking in this earthly life with that assurance, then I am speaking powerfully and I'm living with godly expectations. Okay, then thirdly, we want to walk. We need to learn to walk daily in the faith that we have. Um, a number of weeks, maybe a few months ago, I had a maze that I put up on the screen. Larry, can you find that or Don? And on this maze, which we find in a minute, we will see that that's kind of what our life is like. And the maze seems very confusing, and it is confusing, because life can be confusing. If life can hit you with some really confusing spots. They're working on it, so don't, don't, just don't worry. They're going to get it. There it is. That's the life's amazing maze. Remember that? Can anybody take a look and kind of find out where they're, they're at in that red line of life? It's not as straight as what we'd like it to be, that's for sure. But I want to take down that maze and I want to blow it up a little bit. I wanted to blow up. Go back one more time, if you would. I want to take this little spot right here, okay? And I want to blow it up. So that's what this next slide looks like. This is a word that Chris and I got from Bob Rogers this week. This is not my idea. This is his idea, and I just really liked it. I want to explain this to you. This is in the maze, okay? This is me. I'm pretty happy here. Nice smile, okay? I'm just a real positive person. This is where I'm at. And I have that, that goal now. I'm getting to the end of my life. Or I'm getting to the place in my life where I can kind of cut the corner and I can see my goal up in that big star up there. And that's where I'm going. And that's where I'm going. And this is really important for people that think they hear God's voice. I know a lot of people, and I'm one of them, I know a lot of people that say, I hear God. I hear God giving me wisdom direction. And, I, and he's given me a goal. He's given me a, a perspective in life. And that's where I'm supposed to go. So I'm confidently walking in that path. But as I get going, it doesn't, if I get off just a little bit, I go on the red line. And you see where the red line's going? The red line's going, and I get to this point of life where I, something happens now, and I don't understand it, but I'm not getting past the corner. I just keep banging my head against that wall. And I'm getting there, and I'm thinking, God, why? I see my goal. Why aren't I there? Why can't I get to my goal? And, I'm, and I just can't get past this obstacle. I can't get past this thing. And what he's saying, he's saying, he's saying, stop. Just stop. I want you to reevaluate some things. See, when I get above, when I get to where that Y star is, now if I have, if I look to my, this way, right, or yeah, to your right, I see God's new plan for my life. And the thing is, I never could have seen that unless I would have gotten to that point up here I never I never would I never from from here all I see is that I can't see this because I have a wall here so I can't see God's plan really I just see my goal and as I get to this next spot all of a sudden God says wait I've got something better for you trust me I've got something better but I had to get up here 
I had to go through that hard time. I had to, I had to go through some major catastrophe in my life before I was able to see what God had in store for me tomorrow. Now, a wise man will make a course direction change. A wise man will say, okay, God, I hear you, I see you. I'm going to go now to the red star. And I'm going to stop my battle for my goal because now I'm going to line my will up with your will. And when I line my will up with your will, guess what? We're going to get something accomplished. And we're going to find the will of God in our life and we're going to become powerful. And I'm going to now take the new course direction change. That took so much pressure off me when I heard that. Because now it's not about me making and forcing my way to my goal. It's about me being willing and obedient to listen to God. And then he said, and then trusting him to take me through this maze of life and not get mad at him when it doesn't work out like I think it should. When I have that sickness or when I have that disease or when I have that problem financially or I have a problem with a relationship or somebody dies and I don't know why because we prayed for them and they still pass away. I don't have to get mad at God anymore. I don't have to blame him for my problems anymore because when I live a godly expectation in my life, I know that he's taken me here so that I can see there. Now I can move there and be in God's will and keep moving on in a positive way. And that, that just helped me answer so many questions for me. I hope it does for you. I hope it does for you. Because we need to understand then that God really knows us. If, you, if we read chapter, or Psalms 139, this is what Dr. Jeremiah was referring to. 139, verses 13 through 16, in the message, it says, Oh yes, you shaped me first inside and then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You knew me inside and out. You know my every bone in my body. You know exactly how I, was, how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life are all prepared before I'd even lived one day. How in the world can I get mad at God? How in the world can I get upset at him when I don't think things are going the way they should be going? Because he has a combination of a scripted life, a plan for my life, along with my choices to follow his will. And when I do that, I am in the will of God. I am living a godly expectation lifestyle. And I'm moving forward. And I'm powerful. And I'm, and I'm effective. And, I can, and I'm living the mission statement. Heavenly effective through earthly relevance. And I have my eye on the target. And I say, Lord, I want to hear you say, tell me, Jesus, well done, Mike. You did, a, you did a good job. You did a good job. In conclusion, then, as we, as we think about this and we understand that we don't have the reason nor the right to get mad at God. We understand our limitations. And we also understand our, our, our inability to absorb some things in our life at any given time. I don't know about you, but there are many times when I wish God would just give me the plan. Just lay it out. Just tell me what it is, God. I can handle it. Just give me the next 30 years, lay it out so I know where I'm supposed to go. I promise you I can handle it. 
Well, the problem is I can't handle it. I can't handle any more than what he gives me. John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, it says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. See, he will give me information in the chunks I can handle it. If I knew what God had in store for me in a year, I may not make the right choices today. If I knew... If I knew what he had in store for me from the good or the bad in six months, I may not make the choice today that I'm making. What he wants from me is my obedience. What he wants from me is my trust. Can I trust him? Can I trust him? Another example that Brother Rogers gave my wife and I is that if, if I had $15,000, here that I could control. This is my $15,000 that I, I have my hands on it. I can control it. Or God says, I'll give you $300,000, but you're going to trust me. You're going to trust me for it. Which do you take? Do you take the $15,000 right now that I can spend, that I can invest, and I can think I can do it better on my own? Or do you go with the promise that God says, I'll give you $300,000, but you have to wait and you have to trust me, and you have to go through one step at a time. What level of faith do you have? Is it your personal faith? Or is it my faith? Or is it your wife's faith? Or, your, or your, somebody else's faith? It has to become your personal faith. And when it becomes your personal faith, and as you're lining yourselves up with God's will, and as you're using the power of the tongue and positive confession, lining up with God's will, And if you are now experiencing your personal faith, and now if you're walking in it every day, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. And it's not that hard. It only gets hard when we think we have to do it all at one time. My wife was a great encouragement to me when I was in college. I would come home from the first day of college, the first day of classes for that particular day, and this is where all the professors, when I was up at Michigan Tech, they would line up the syllabus. This is what we're going to do this semester. And they would talk about all the labs we had to do, talk about all the homework we had to do, talk about all the tests that we were going to have, the final exam, how we were going to be based on. And if you had 15 to 16 credits, you had three or four classes, you get all that on the first day of class, it's a little bit overwhelming. And I would go home depressed. And Chris was very wise. And she would say, Mike, you're not going to do it all in one day. That's going to happen over 10 weeks. And that gave me some relief. I still failed, most of them. No, I'm only kidding. But she gave me so much confidence in that encouragement because if I realize that it's not going to happen all at once, God will reveal to you the little bit that he can reveal to you today so that you can make the best choices today for tomorrow. 
But don't think that it's all about you then to make the right choice after that because God's going to give you the next idea after that and he's going to keep leading us. And that's what it's all about. So for those today that are struggling with expectations, are you struggling with living a a godly life with godly expectations? Here's the real question. Do you want to? It really comes down to your choices and my choices. Yes, God has a scripted plan for my life, but I still have the choice. I still have the choice to walk in it or not walk in it. As you just close your eyes for a minute and just reflect on some of this for a few minutes. And then ask God, Father, fill me with the knowledge of your will. Fill me with the knowledge of your will. According to your spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that I can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to you. Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen me with all power, according to your glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy giving thanks to the Lord, who qualifies me to then share in the inheritance of the saints of light. If we can learn how to pray that, Paul wrote that to the Colossians. And he said, just keep asking. Keep asking that you would be constantly filled with the knowledge of God's will. Wow. The knowledge of God's will. If I had that with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, it just leads one step after the other. One step after. Then I'm living a righteous life and I'm living a holy life and I'm living a life that is rewardable, not a life that's condemnable. I'm using the right words. I'm speaking the right positive thoughts. I'm learning. I'm increasing the knowledge of God. Oh, that's what Christian, That's what living a Christ-like life is. That's what that's what's living a godly expectational life is. Father, we just come before you now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I know that we all have issues. We all have confusion. We all have questions. We just can't understand all of it. But that's absolutely okay. Because God, if I could understand you, then you're not much of a God. If I could get my arms around you and understand who you are and what you are and and outthink you, then you're not the God I want. But Lord, you're so much more than that. And Lord, I just come before you today in my life personally. And I pray that each person is praying this along with me today, that we are just turning our life over to you, one step at a time. Lord, we're taking all the expectations that we've talked about over the past few weeks. We're talking about the expectations of living a godly life. We're talking about what the hope of eternal life. We're talking about that. We're talking about the expectations of other people in our life. We're talking about our personal expectations. And now, Lord, we're talking about your expectations. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. I pray that you would give us that wisdom, give us that understanding, and give us that ability to walk in it. 
And give us your peace, Holy Spirit. Be our comforter. Be our counselor. And just help us as we walk through this life. In Jesus' name.